Welcome back to the shelves, oddlings. My name is Ambie. And I'm Serafina. And the oddity I'm feeling like today is a bag of bones. Oh. Just like a nice little tote bag full of bones. That's it. Okay. No further questions. What oddity are you feeling like today? Oh, well, can I buy the bones at like uh, like a, a home goods store? Like you know, like a little creative Halloween decoration? Just like a little Sarah? Mm-hmm. Yes, oh, definitely. Man. Sweet. Um, the oddling, the oddity, sorry, that I'm feeling like today, um, I'm kind of filling up like a, like a shriveled up monkey liver um, that you oh. kind of buy at like exposés and they say it's going to like increase your libido and stuff like that because your boy's been tired. For far too long, and I'm too young to feel this tired. I need all the help I can get. Yeah, that's what, that's why I'd be feeling like a bag of bones. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know? <laughs> so if the voodoo is going to help me, you know, get things back up and running, I'm here for it. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, so you are going to Salem this month, and I know you're mm-hmm. super, super excited for that. So what do you looking forward to the most about your trip when you get there what's what's on your mind the most i am excited about so many aspects because i just fucking love that place yeah um i it's hard there's the stuff i'm excited for personally and then there's the stuff i'm excited for in the city Mm -hmm. um so like personally i'm very excited to like get the outfits to like wear the outfits that i've been making Mm mm-hmm I'm very pumped for that because I'm very proud of them and I'm excited to see them all in action there. Like I've been working really hard on it. So to see it all come to fruition, I think it's going to be really fun. And to wear it in the city, like to fit in, you know, around there, it's just going to be really nice. Mm -hmm. And then the thing I'm most excited for is definitely the King Burger at Boston Burger Company. I... I'm so ready. (laughs) BBC, Boston Burger Company, Mm -hmm. (laughs) is the best burgers uh, that I've ever had when I while I lived in Massachusetts. I went on a bender where I ate them like once a week for like a month and a half. I was like, so jealous of that. Gotta have it. (laughs) We had made jokes throughout this year because we went this time last year. Um, We had made jokes about. Do we make the 14 hour drive <laughs> just for the fucking burger? And there's been a couple of times we've looked up like plane tickets to see how much it'd be because it's so good. Yeah. And I'm very excited. I'm excited to see what their October milkshake is. I'm so we went in September, the end of September last year, and now we're going in October this year. So I'm very excited to see what's different. I, they were transitioning into fall at that time, transitioning into spooky season at that time. I think the thing I'm most excited about that's not food or what I'm wearing, I'm excited to walk around the neighborhoods and just see how people have decorated. I'm very pumped for that. I I understand and respect that it is a city that's not fucking Disney World. People really live there. <laughs> and I am huge on that and like the respect of that. So like I just want to walk around and admire what they've done to their homes because I have to imagine living in Salem in October is either a blast or terrible. Um and it's for terrible. those yeah. Um some of them some like it. Some like it. Some some are fine with it. Some move there specifically for that. And they're the ones that go crazy on decorating their houses. And they're the ones who post their address on the internet and say, come look at our decorations, and those will be the houses we're going People to. People do you know? that? Yeah. 
That's bold. Yeah. Well, they're like TikTok famous, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, and also the houses there all have placards on them anyway. So mm-hmm. when you show off your house decoration, it tells you that, you know, who bought your house 200 years ago and, you know, where that came from. So I, I think that the people who are newer to Salem who have moved there, like specifically moved there for that time, but they're also like super rich. So I'm sure like they're there for like a week and then they leave and go somewhere else for the rest of the time. Cause I couldn't imagine being around that many, many people consistently. I've seen a lot of uh, Salemites complain about like, you can't even go to the grocery store. Like it's mm, terrible. It's like that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel bad for them in that scenario, but also like, I'm going to do my part to make sure that I'm not a nuisance and the group I'm traveling with isn't a nuisance. So I, I'm very excited. There's so many aspects that I'm so pumped about. Um, I really am just excited to be there. There is something about that town that is magical, even when you know the truth about the the witch trials and when you know that the witch stuff is more of a new age thing in the scenario of Salem is working hard to make itself its own identity now versus it used to fight it beforehand, you know, like that whole thing, like, yeah. There's something that is so magical and it's really nice being surrounded by people who appreciate the same stuff you do. I We went in September and it was perfect. I would have wished that we could have gone in September again this year, but unfortunately no one's schedules aligned to where we could. Um, I'm not necessarily looking forward to going in October with the October crowd. Um, I'm not big on crowds, oh, yeah. but I am excited to, you know, see everything transformed and go in knowing I have to be super patient and there's just going to be a lot of people around but we're staying in Salem this time um, so we don't have to worry about traffic or driving or anything which I'm really excited about and I'm excited to be able to like walk around Salem at nighttime um, you know without having to like go drive home somewhere like have a beer at Boston Burger Company and pop an edible and have a good time (laughs) Nah, for sure. I mean, Salem's the best. And like, I lived in Lynn, um, which you know where that is. Lynn is Mm -hmm. like literally where I lived in Lynn. I was about seven minutes from downtown Salem. Um, Lynn is where Ravenstone is, right? Yes. I love Ravenstone. Yeah. Um, And so Lynn um, would get a lot of the spill over from like Mm -hmm. the Boston or from the Salem tourist. Um, And like, it's fine. I feel like you just kind of accept that it's like, Hey, it's one month, whatever, get over it. Right. Um, It's like people have to exist. Like, you know, you go to the grocery store and it's crowded. Everybody's so mad, but it's like, you know, people need groceries. Maybe just get over it. It's all right. Like you're you're fine. Delivered. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it's, (laughs) I mean, it's great. And the whole town is like, you know, really embracing and building upon like the tourist attraction and like i even i have a dream of moving back one day and opening like a bar and i want it to be like a really fun like halloween theme bar where like you know the employees and people dress up and we serve like this really fun camp halloween like you know let's do it let's do it let's do it i went in on the goal i'm down but like skull (laughs) cups and like pumpkin bowls and there's little like bats hanging from the ceiling you know like nothing crazy I'll make the but, sourdough, baby. Let's go. <laughs> but yeah, I want to do that one day. And I even talking to like um, 
with Chamber of Commerce, and I had a meeting with a lady just to figure out the process. And she was like, I'm surprised we don't even have anything like that. We're so here for it. And, of course, it's so expensive to open a business in Massachusetts in general. So that's a way down the road plan if someone doesn't beat me to it. But (laughs) they really, like, embrace it as an identity. And I, I love Oddities, our PayPal link will be in the description. Send us money to build a business. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so down for that. <laughs> no, my I would really love to live there. I mean, genuinely, when people are like, if you could live anywhere, where would you live? It's like, not in Salem. I don't think I would want to live in Salem. But like, Lynn is really cool. Uh, we stayed in Danvers. Danvers is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, anywhere in that stretch. I just, I think, or even like, even if it was like in New Hampshire or something like that. The weather oh, that man, they so typically nice. have um, is something I really like. So mm-hmm. I miss it. That's the hope. <laughs> I would like to live over in in that part of the country. I I am a weirdo who likes snow and <laughs> <laughs> wants to be snowed in and all of that good stuff. But uh, I don't know. I just I also romanticize that part of the country, of course, because I'm from Cornville. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did. Anything's I rom- better than that. I romanticize it coming from dirt oilville. So I yes. totally get you. And it like, and if you allow yourself to just accept it for what it is, it is a very wonderful and just like romantic in the terms of like, you know, not like falling in love, but you know what I mean? It is a very like, just wonderful place to live. If you just like, like go in there without, or at least be willing to like move off your expectations, just kind of accept it for what it is. It's a really, really great area of the country to live in. I really do miss it. I know. I wish you were there. That's the thing that I, I'm struggling with most is that like I'm gonna go there and like you won't be there. I'm sorry. Kate. It's like oh, but I want to hang out. Let's have burgers together. We could like cheers our burgers and be burgers. so <laughs> <laughs> Next year, maybe next year, you come join us or something. Hey, I'm down. I'm down. I'm down. Well, goodness. Um, I have a question for you before we get into our topic. Okay. So we've hit on a couple of fun topics so far at the beginning of our episodes. Because uh, welcome to another episode of Odd October. We haven't said that yet because we're so excited about other things. <laughs> um, but welcome. Uh, my Odd October question for you is what scents do you gravitate to during the fall? Um, 100%. And I'm sorry, but pumpkin spice and cinnamon. Yeah. Those <laughs> I like am warmer. the world's most. The minute, the minute, the little like... Um, I would have to assume you guys have these in in Ohio, the cinnamon pine cones. Yeah. The minute those hit the shelves, I buy like three of them. They are strategically <laughs> placed around my house. I have those little like Febreze plugins with the like pumpkin spice smell. Those are plugged into my wall, and that's what my house is going to smell like. That and whatever soup or stew or something I'm cooking, which sometimes isn't always the best marriage, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. It's it's literally just Cinnamon City in here from like the minute fall time happens till like March. Just cinnamon and pumpkin spice. Cinnamon repeated. City. Cinnamon I, City. To the behest of no one, uh, we typically go for like the natural smells. Like my house smells like fallen leaves. And like from like now until November, I'll throw in like a pumpkin. I'll throw in a bath and body which I don't buy their candles anymore because they do give me headaches now as an old person. Um, <laughs> plus, they're just so expensive. We we make our own candles now because, <laughs> of course, I fucking do. Um, <laughs> but we tend to go for more like um, 
I'm trying to like like the names. It's so funny. I should pick up a candle and see like you know what they say on the bottom because I burn them so sparingly. Um, the ones that I've bought from a store, um, but it's like clove. You know, okay. it's probably yeah. the closest I get to like a culinary smell, and then the rest of it's like bergamot, you know, and stuff like that. The the one that I like the most that you would probably like it's called sweet cinnamon pumpkin. Um, and it's like sweet cinnamon pumpkin cupcake or something. I don't know. It just smells like a pumpkin cinnamon roll and it's delicious. But typically we go for like acorn lane and it smells like, I don't know, fucking acorns and leaf. <laughs> mm, it sounds lovely. It's very, uh, it's very, the, the leaves are decaying and that we're lovely. rejoicing. <laughs> yeah. It's really nice. And then once we get into winter, it's like pine all day, every day. Okay, and I love that too. I'm We're 100% very, here for pine. Very big pine family. Yes. And by family, I just mean me and my husband. <laughs> <laughs> We're just, this this family unit of ours is big on pine. Like, it's a wonderful smell. I don't, I've also weirdly like gotten away from burning a lot of candles because um, I don't know how to explain this other than like I burn them intentionally. Like if there's something going on, I'll burn them. But like, I don't just burn them willy-nilly like I used to because now I'm like more afraid of fires because of my dogs like I just feel like responsible for them and if anything happened it's not just like me trying to get out of the house you know like nothing can happen to them um kind of vibes but um what is this one that leads me to burning more incense mm-hmm. which is a, a constant thing um a lot of my incense though has names and not smells um so like this one's called like the blessing of the gods that i got from the uh, coven's cottage mm-hmm. but i i don't know what it smells like but amazing uh but the one incense i know the name of is teakwood and tobacco okay and we like that once again very natural where it smells like burning woods in here it smells like leaves decaying and my house smells like a pile of moss very ohio of you <laughs> so- so very high. No corn scent, un- un- unfortunately. Not no <laughs> corn scent. Um, they don't sell that. Thank the Lord. Well, they probably do somewhere in this crazy life, but uh, not here. Not in this house. So yeah, um, it is wonderful to be able to like do anything that creates a little bit more heat in this house that I can't do in the summer. So I'm always like, if I'm trying to set the the tone and the mood, it always comes back to, well, what scent can I put in the air, you know, to sure. um, make it happen. It's too early yet for simmer pots. I typically don't start those until November when it's like consistently cold every day mm-hmm. and I need a little humidity in the air again. Um, but once again, that's, you know, star anise and clove and orange. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, uh, that's how we're living, you know, it's just... It's just nice. It's cozy. It's about being cozy. And I, my coziness is not uh, baked goods in the kitchen. My coziness is <laughs> dying forest. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it goes here. And that's why we love you. Oh, thank you. Of course. So, oddlings, take a moment, if you would, and allow your mind to be free and your imagination to run wild. You are standing at the border of a forest. It is dark out. The night is silent. So much so, it brings you genuine discomfort. 
no hooting of wise owls, no chirping of crickets or other insect life, no deer move amongst the forest brush. And it is quiet, far too quiet. You uneasily step into our dark forest and are immediately overcome with a sense of foreboding. You travel along cautiously for what may be minutes or hours or seconds as time is no friend to the terrified mind. Your eyes have adjusted to the darkness now, or as adjusted as much as they reasonably could be expected. You confirm with your eyes what your ears have already told you. The forest around you is silent, terrified, waiting, watching. In a short span of time, the forest becomes illuminated with the majestic glow of moonlight. The once cloud-covered, dark night sky has given way to the illustrious beauty of Mother Moon herself. You, dear Audling, are filled with relief as you allow your footsteps to be guided by the light of the gentle moon. You do realize, however, that the forest still remains lifeless, save your slow, steady steps. That is until you hear in the distance the howling of a wolf. You smile as you are happy that you are not the only creature feeling lonely, wanting to cry out to the moon and thank her for her company. You sit to rest and light a small fire, and as you chew traveling herbs and sip water, a thought crosses your mind. More so, a sense of understanding. The howling you heard previously wasn't as far off as you thought, and you are not alo as alone as you once might have been. And it happens in a flash. The beast, some seven feet tall, massive, muscular, covered in fur, the tortured face of the man-wolf abomination, you, desperately trying to run, the sense of betrayal you feel at the moon and her false hope, the scratching, the bite, and the curse now laying upon your existence. Yes, oddlings, today we are talking about werewolves, one of my favorite beasts in lore. So sit down. Yes. Sit down, grab a warm cup of pumpkin spice, and stop rubbing that spot on your forearm. You weren't really bitten. It's all just a part of your imagination. But it hurts. So. What the heck? <laughs> At some point during this, if Serafina starts growling, guys, I'm, I'm eating out of here. I don't even care if rubber. <laughs> <laughs> so, the relationship between man and wolf has existed for as long as documented history can tell us. With packs of humans and packs of wolves coming into contact with one another, and man eventually domesticating wolves into the dogs we know of today. Human and wolves share many similar traits, such as pack survival, loyalty, hunt and kill drives, etc. And so it is natural that in a time before the internet and television, when people relied on stories and their imagination to provide entertainment and explain the unknown things of the world, People created stories about what if man became wolf, and thus werewolves come into existence. The oldest documented case is found in the Epic of Gilgamesh. The Epic of Gilgamesh tells, us, tells the tale of Gilgamesh, a god-king and son of Lugald Banda, the fifth king of the first dynasty. In the story, Ishtar, the goddess of fertility, love, war, and sex, is supposedly in love with our hero Gilgamesh, and so she flirts with him. Gilgamesh, however, rejects her advances because of how she treated her past suitors. 
One suitor in particular comes to mind, a young shepherd that had fallen in love with the goddess. He left her bountiful offerings at a shrine on a mountainside, and at first, the arrogant Ishtar encouraged him. But eventually she grew bored with his devotions and transformed him into a wolf. He was then torn to bits by his very own hounds. Though we do not know if the man in this epic of Gilgamesh was transformed into a wolf-man hybrid that we think of today, it is the earliest tale of a man being cursed and transformed into a wolf. So basically, my man was a simp. He was trying to get it. And she was like, yeah, all right, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll play along. And then he kind of got fucked over, you know? Ain't, ain't that the way, brother? <laughs> that sucks, you know? Oh, yeah. So nice guys never win. The nice guy always finishes last. That's why you got to be a douchebag. <laughs> at least that's what they taught me. <laughs> So to find the more commonly known beast, we will need to look to ancient Greece. The werewolf myth became integrated with the local history of Arcadia, a region of Greece. Uh, Here, uh, what was that? Uh, an odd, an odd Arcadia? Did you say an, uh, an odd uh, Arcadia? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Here, Zeus was worshipped worshipped as Lycinian Zeus or Wolf Zeus. In 380 BC, Greek philosopher Plato told a story in the Republic about the protector-turned-tyrant of the shrine of Lycinian Zeus. In, the sh in this short passage, the character Socrates remarks, the story goes that he who tastes of the one bit of human entrails minced up with those of other victims is inevitably transformed into a wolf. The most interesting aspect of Plato's passage concerns the quote-unquote protector-turned-tyrant, also known as the mythical king Ly Lycaon, Lycaon, I believe. Lycaon's story contains all the elements of a modern werewolf tale, immoral behavior, murder, and cannibalism. In the story, written by famous Latin author Gaius Hyginus, Fabulae, the sons of Lycaon or Lycaon sacrificed their youngest brother to prove Zeus's weakness. They served the corpse as a pseudo-feast and attempted to trick the god into eating it. A furious Zeus slayed the sons with a lightning bolt and transformed their father into a wolf. And I don't blame him. I, I, don't, I don't blame Zeus. Zeus is got to be one of the most god-awful figures in all of any kind of history or lore. But right here, I don't blame him. <laughs> Too well, much Walter that. Frey could have been... <laughs> in a similar tale called Metamorphus, written by author Ovis, he describes King Lycaon's transformation as so. He tried to speak, but his voice broke into an echoing howl. His ravening soul infected his jaws. His murderous longings were turned on the cattle. He still was possessed by bloodlust. His garments were changed to a shaggy coat and his arms into legs. He was now transformed into a wolf. The story of Lycaon is what inspires the term lycanthropy, known as Wolfman Syndrome, which was turned by a Greek physician used to describe melancholy behavior, such as visiting cemeteries and behaving like wolves and dogs. So, Sarah, my friend, I think you might have lycanthropy. Mm, wouldn't be the first person to tell me that. <laughs> because I don't know about you, but I'm a cemetery kind of girly. I'm yeah, all about definitely. it. I do get this really odd sense of peace when I go to cemeteries. Um, it's because it's the first time you're around people and they're not bothering you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, com <laughs> it's completely reasonable. 
response. I, <laughs> I really want you to come up here because I know you've heard our episode about Spring Grove. It is yeah. the coolest cemetery. Uh-huh. I think in the country. I think it's like the top it's like the third top best cemetery in the country, but it is so cool. It's like 300 acres of just like the oldest. Okay. Shit, and it's just really cool. It's really fun. Yeah, I'm down. I'm down and I down. think you would love a stroll. Erie goes pretty regularly, or at least she did before she moved. I'm not sure now, but we went on like midnight tours. Okay. Of the cemetery, and it was so much fun, and we had such a blast. Yeah. If that means I'm a werewolf, so be it. I'll take I it. I love it. Add it to the <laughs> resume. <laughs> So the Greeks give us the first idea of how to like ward off and even kill them. Or I mean, sorry, ward off or even kill werewolves. Um, so one of the most ancient talismans against lycanthropy is the herb wolfsbane said to have grown from the saliva of Cerberus, the three headed dog guardian of the Greek underworld when Hercules brought him up to the service world. Other herbs that legends say are effective as werewolf repellents include rye, mistletoe, and mountain ash. Werewolves are not affected by religious symbols like crucifixes and holy water. But in modern fiction, and we'll get to this in a bit, they are vulnerable to weapons containing silver, such as silver bullets or silver blades. The silver bullet is the most iconic anti-werewolf weapon, but in many stories, anything silver causes agonizing pain if it touches the beast. So, as a as a really really nerdy kid who went through a Greek mythology phase, um, I got super into how like ancient Greece is supposed to be spoken. So, for example, Socrates should be Socrates and Hercules should be Heracles. But I feel like such a douche when I say it like that. So I just <laughs> I just try to say it how it's supposed to be said. That's why we have the Hippocrates joke because I always say Hippocrates. Because I just yes, think it's funny. that's how it should be said. But if you go on like Google and type in how to pronounce Hippocrates, it's like Hippocrates. It's so funny. Is it really? Yeah. Okay, because I know like Socrates and then like Hercules is Heracles, which doesn't even make sense. I guess we probably spell it differently these days for it to be yeah, pronounced Heracles. It's a but... yeah. yeah, I like yeah. Heracles more though. For sure, I do too. I, I think Socrates is better than Socrates, but Socrates. One ancient culture revered or feared, depending on how you view it, wolves more than any other. And these were the Norse. In Norse mythology, we get a famous story of, again, men doing immoral things and being cursed into wolves as their punishment. So, quote, after a hard day's work of thieving, Sigmundir and his son, can't pronounce it, happened upon a house. It looked empty, so they slipped inside to find two wealthy men fast asleep. Hanging above them were two luxurious wolfskins. The father and son helped themselves, they were thieves after all, but when they put the pelts on, they started to walk on all fours and grow long fang-like teeth. They howled at the night sky and bared their teeth. Out in the forest, they confronted several bands of men and left none standing, more than 13 victims between them. With no one left to stalk, Sigmundir attacked the son, digging his long teeth into his son's neck. When he realized what he'd done, he used a magical herb to restore his son's health. Eleven days after their transformation, father and son finally returned to their human form, burned the nefarious pelts, and gave up their thieving lives for good. So, that's going to be... 
I'm keeping that. You're keeping I, it? I ain't getting rid of that. Uh-uh. You almost killed your son, though. Okay, well, R.I.P. to the homie. You just make another? Well, that's true, but also, he also saved his son. It's fine. And also, you just, you know, you you, you get better. <laughs> get good at being a wolf. So, I mean, it seems as far as the Norse go, they really use the tale of werewolves as a punishment for, like, naughty behavior. Yeah. But uh, Viking werewolf stories like Sigmund Deer and Mr. I Can't Pronounce It reflects the complexity of the wolf as a symbol in Viking society. Vikings both admired wolf strengths and, as a largely agricultural society, feared it. And so then we get a quote from historian Lars Brownsworth, author of The Sea Wolves. He says... Wolves prowl on the edges, they're destroyers, kind of night creatures, and they are the strongest in some ways where we are weakest. And he says, and yet Vikings, especially particular tribes, embrace the connection. So, in one sense, wolves exist outside of society, says Brownsworth, noting that the word for exile in Old Norse is varger, and that is the same word used for wolf. Being exiled in Viking society meant living like a wolf in the forest, an enemy to mankind. Author Stephen Brink writes in the Viking world, being exiled was, quote, the worst punishment for Vikings. In a society in which family and social ties were everything, it was akin to a social death and could often lead to literal death, too, since exiles could be killed with impunity. In his Danish history, late 12th century historian Saxo Grammaticus wrote about another wolf-related punishment. Any Viking who kills a close family member would be strung up by the heels next to a live wolf. He, having acted as a wolf, which will slay its fellows. So, the Norse are just... I mean, they're the Norse. They are just some bad motherfuckers. They are very take-no-bullshit. They have their very set in ways, set customs. I do like the... Um, the way they kind of fear and embrace the wolf. And then obviously you have Fenrir and other forms of wolves in their mythology that are very highly respected and very thought of. Um, and so we still kind of see the werewolf as this idea of punishment, you know? Mm -hmm. But then, of course, my friend, we come to everybody's favorite subject matter, Christianity. <laughs> As Christianity began to spread across Europe, the stories of wolves, men becoming one with wolves, were vilified as pagan, and any association with the once-revered wolves in Norse culture were looked down upon and seen as something to hide or reject altogether. This is what truly leads to the one-story narrative of the poor helpless man cursed by the evil being and doomed to be a mindless murder machine his life there out. The first recorded use of the werewolf is the, and this is a hard word for me, ecclesiastical ordinances of King Canute, where it was used to symbolically warn clergy to be on the lookout for those who may harm their congregation. You know what I just thought of right there? Julius Caesar? No, I thought of um, <laughs> the, where Elmo's like, Sonic Vinegar? That's a hard word for Elmo. Or he's like, that's a big word for Elmo. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I can't pronounce that word. <laughs> well, classically, you did it, you did fine. Okay, thanks. <laughs> the transformation of how werewolves were viewed during these times were reflective of fears 
that plagues many Europeans during the Dark Ages and onwards. Sinful creatures, demonic possession, and then my favorite, known as the sympathetic werewolf, where a human soul trapped in a wolf body could be divinely saved if it showed proper devotion to God. And then I went went and I, like, researched this a little bit um, because I wanted to find an example of the, quote, sympathetic wolf. And there is this picture, and it's wonderful, and I might try to, like, track it back down and send it to you over disc, but it's, like, this priest, and he's, like, standing, and then there's just, like, this hideous-looking werewolf with a cross in his hand, and it's, like, bowing, praying, and it's fucking hilarious. I had a riot with that picture. (laughs) It's so good. I I love the, uh, the Delulu era. A lot of them (laughs) are living in. (laughs) So good. Uh... One of the most popular and well-known pieces about werewolves come in the form of a poem, Bisclave, the Werewolf, by author Marie de France, which just means Marie of France, written in the 12th century. Originally written in French, it tells the story of a werewolf who is trapped in lupine form by the treachery of his wife. And so we're going to go over that little piece right now. So... Scalave, a baron in Brittany who is well-loved by the king, vanishes every week for three full days. No one in his household, not even his wife, knows where he goes. His wife finally begs him to tell her his secret, and he explains that he is a werewolf. He also says that, while in werewolf form, he needs to hide his clothing in a safe place so he can return to human form. The Baron's wife is so shocked by this news that she tries to think of ways she can escape her husband. She does not want to lie beside him anymore. She conspires with a knight who has loved her for a long time. The following week, the Baron's wife sends the knight to steal her husband's clothing. When her husband fails to return, she marries the knight. The Baron's people search for him, but finally relent, feeling that their absentee ruler has left for good. A year later... The king goes hunting, and his dogs corner. What did I say for his I don't know how to say his name. We're calling Biss, all right. A year later, the king goes, and his dogs corner Biss, now fixed in wolf form. As soon as he sees him, Biss runs to the king to beg for mercy by taking the king's stirrup and kissing his foot and leg. This behavior so astounds the king that he has his companions drive back the dogs, and everyone marvels at the wolf's nobility and gentleness. The king takes Biss, still in wolf form, back to the castle to live with him. The knight who had married Biss's wife is invited to the castle for a celebration along with all other barons. As soon as he sees him, Biss attacks the man. The king calls to Biss and threatens him with his staff. Because he never acted so violently before, everybody in the court thinks that the knight must somehow have wronged the wolf. Soon after, the king visits the area where the baron used to live and brings the werewolf along with him. Biss's wife learns of the king's arrival and takes many gifts for him. When he sees his former wife, nobody can restrain Biss. He attacks her, tearing off her nose. A wise man points out that the wolf had never acted so before and that this woman was the wife of the knight whom Biss had recently attacked. The wise man also tells the king that this woman is the former wife of the missing baron. The king has the wife questioned under torture. She confesses all and yields up the stolen clothing. The king's men put the clothing before the wolf, but he ignores it. The wise man advises them to take the wolf and the clothing into a bedchamber and let this change in privacy. 
He does so, and when again sees him, the king runs to his beloved baron and embraces him, giving him many kisses. The king restores Biss's land to him and exiles the baroness and her knight. Many of the wife's female progeny were afterwards born without noses, and all of her children were quite recognizable in face and appearance. So, were they homies or lovers? So, like, I don't know, you know? Cause Man's best friend, a, baby. <laughs> he's giving a lot to love. Maybe he was a couple nights with the peanut butter. and uh, Ew, no. I can't. I want to edit that out so bad. How dare you? Seriously? <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, you can edit it. I don't care. Do it's fine. It's just the oddlings now have to listen to you say that, and you're just going to live with that forever, so love that. <laughs> So maybe you're just giving him little forehead kisses, you know? He's like, best friend, I missed you. Yeah, Love I you. mean, that's... <laughs> yeah, that, that, that got the biggest reaction out of you. That's... um. Yeah, dog, it's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's disgusting, but it's like it's a, a funny crime. joke. I'm not like... <laughs> it is a funny joke, I'll give you that. Yeah, that's that's hilarious that he's like, Oh, we're just going to trust this wolf. This wolf's never acted this way. It must be something wrong with you. Like, that's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it points into so many wonderful things about Christianity that we love. Like, you know, subservience to your husband. Like, how dare you not want to sleep next to a werewolf? That, are you crazy? What do you mean? He's such a good guy. Um, I mean, she went about it the wrong way, but like. It's not like the worst thing she could have done. <laughs> and then you're right. They're just like this werewolf. They're like, this werewolf must know better than this woman. Yeah. <laughs> like it's kind of it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> also, uh, like, why would you keep the clothes? I know. I agree Burn with them that. Fuckers. And it's also weird that like I think it's interesting, like her entire bloodline's like curse, little blood curse going on, you know. All of her kids are born, and it's only the female kids. It's even more interesting, right. only the girls. They're Golly. born, you know. How dare? I don't know. It's crazy, how but dare. I just feel like that's that's you know, good old Christianity getting getting to work. It's also kind of strange because, like, why aren't they freaked out that he's a werewolf? Why aren't they? Yeah, like, you would think, like, yeah, it sucks that she did that, but, like, that's an abomination. Right, and and it's, like, it's so against their, like, um, religious code and everything, like, as far yeah. as, like, like... You know what? You can be an abomination of the devil as long as you're not a woman. <laughs> you know? I, I shouldn't laugh at that, but... <laughs> it's the vibe. That's the vibe, dog. Is it? Uh, every day of my life so far. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I hope you've enjoyed learning about the long story journey of the werewolf from its origins in ancient Mesopotamia, Greece and Rome, its conception in North mythology, and of course, its bastardization due to Christianity. But like many old great things, the werewolf is now resigned to the realm of entertainment media. While once being a very genuinely feared beast of legend, it is now... Just a scary or sometimes cute fictional being. The werewolf slowly dies out of relevancy or at least is widely less a subject of focus during the 15 and 1700s. Around the 1800s, specifically 1812, when the iconic Brothers Grimm is released, one of the most iconic stories tells the tale of a man who can transform into a werewolf using a belt. And there's also a pretty neat werewolf story um, in the 1824 novel The... Albigenesis, 
Epigenesis, something of that nature. Epigenesis, I think. Okay, yeah. Um, when werewolves first came to film, they said, "Mind you, guys, this is this is an America Universal Studios." But they said, uh, "Hey, guys, I know we have a lot of really great years upon years of European folklore we can use to tell a great story, but let's fuck over let let's fuck those stories and cultures, uh, and, and let's talk. Let, let's make put this all in the Native Americans." And so they yeah, basically. I was yeah. like, is, is there a Native American background to werewolves? Skinwalkers. That's what I thought, but they're not the same thing. It, it's the closest. It's That's the closest so interesting thing. that they, they did that, that they would. I mean, it's not surprising they would revise history like that, but it is interesting. So basically, in the first two major films um, about werewolves, so. Uh, the werewolf in 1913. Um, and then there's another one called the white, the white wolf, I believe it's called in 1914. Um, they basically, the story centers around a native American doing something really bad and fucked up to a white person and turning him into a werewolf. And he eternally suffers because of it. Um, it, so the it werewolf deserved it. was that <laughs> What? <laughs> <laughs> so it says, uh, the werewolf in 1913, um, a silent film tells the tale of a Navajo woman who marries a white man. Unknown to the wife, the husband is killed uh, in some form or another. So we don't know how he's killed. He's just killed. Uh, but she believes him to have abandoned her. And in her anger, she becomes a witch and raises her daughter to hate white men. Which, can't, can't blame you, honey. One day, the daughter confronts a group of men who kill her lover. And upon being shown a crucifix, she turns into a wolf. And hijinks ensue. Now, why did I just say hijinks ensue? Because the 1913 and 1914 films are mostly lost because of a massive fire that happened at Universal Studios in the 1920s. So all we have is like a few paragraphs and passages by like reviews or newspapers at the time. So we don't have the full like whatever play by play of what happens in the movies. But both of them basically come down to angry native American person picks on white, innocent white people. And it's really, really bad and really, really evil. That's, That's really so odd. Bad. I wonder why they would do that narrative. That's so strange. No, it is. It is because you know, white folk are just so innocent and, and they've never done anything wrong, especially the American ones. They're just wonderful little guys, you know? So, but now I just kind of put together a little list of uh, other films that greatly grew the lore and tropes of the werewolf and then also um, video games, stuff like that, right? So we have The Werewolf of London. The film shows a man who is bitten in Tibet while searching for a rare flower. The man, a botanist, returns to London where he rampages and causes havoc. He eventually meets the werewolf that bites him. They fight and the man ultimately dies from being shot and turns back into a human man as he takes his dying breath. This movie is very, very big on the influence of, you know, the East is so bad. And this is when the world was starting to communicate more with like Japan and China and stuff like that. And so, of course, you know, people being uh, so worried I'm looking for here uh, when you don't like people from foreign countries. What is that term? Uh, xenophobic. Yes. All the xenophobia surrounding like um, Asian people at the time, Asian people immigrating to the States, Asian people immigrating to Europe, London, amongst other places. This film was basically, you know, big bad things come out of the East and it's it's terrible and it's bad and look what it's doing to us. Um, it's 100% a racially motivated movie. Um, decent film. The, the message is terrible. 
1941, Universal Studio released The Wolfman, and The Wolfman composites a lot of traits and tropes we associate in modern werewolf movies. The protagonist transforms by a full moon and is unaware of the things that he does when he transforms. He is eventually killed, not by a silver bullet, but by being beaten to death by his dad. Having the shit beaten out of him. Damn. Um, but this is another story, so it's released right in like the middle of 1941 as American troops are starting to, uh, or as I should say, as the war in Europe is starting to really ramp up. And uh, America is facing the possibility of going to war there. And um, the man is an American. He ends up in Europe. And it kind of like loose. It's, it's I think the researcher was reaching, but also who am I to tell someone with a PhD that they're wrong? But they were trying to say that it was like a kind of drawing similarities to like Hitler's movements throughout Europe and stuff. And it was weird and I didn't want to <laughs> include it. But if anyone has any kind of knowledge of this movie, you might know better than I did. Uh, but again, it's just kind of a propaganda piece for the times. Europe, big bad. Why is America getting involved? Bad things happen there, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so a side note, but a cool little disturbing historical nugget I did find during my research. Um, apparently, Adolf Hitler was like obsessed with the supernatural and the occult, uh, including werewolf and wolves in general. And British declassified documents show that the Nazi forces had a planned had a had planned a mass poisoning of all Allied forces supplies that never took shape, but was titled Operation Werewolf. Oh, it's interesting. You know that they were doing like a bunch of drugs. Oh, yeah, they were. I always think that anytime I hear something about Hitler, all I can think is, like, that man was so methed out, it's insane. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Internally, an evil person. For sure. But the drugs let that evil flow like something else, dog. Like, he oh, yeah. was he was just sitting there vibing, coming up with the craziest shit he possibly could. Because, like, the meth just hit, like... What sure. the fuck? Why are you planning this? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> um, in 1957, we had the movie I Was a Teenage Werewolf released. And the movie focuses on a violent and unruly teenage youth who is hypnotized and injected with an experimental serum that turns him into a werewolf. And the movie was a massive success and one of the first that catered specifically to the teen demographic. Again, this is another movie. That's kind of pointing to like the fears and anxieties of a time, you know, unruly kids not listening to their parents. They're like, hey, listen to your parents. You're going to be turned into a crazy werewolf. <laughs> it's just, just <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> um, so the 60s and 70s werewolf films were often used to depict the rising rebellious nature of society with movie titles such as The Munsters and The Dark Shadows, um, horror comedy films. Uh, werewolves on wheels a story of well a werewolf biker gang it's just the best thing ever um, there's also the boy who cried werewolf and the werewolf of washington the werewolf of washington is about watergate what <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah hold on okay let me let me look it up for you really quick it's pretty great so werewolf of washington 1973 film so it has a two-star rating on imbta and it says uh, two a stars. report, two stars. It oh says, or four stars by the, I don't know, I don't know. 
It says a reporter who has had an affair with the daughter of the U.S. president is sent to Hungary. There, he is bitten by a werewolf and then gets transferred back to Washington, where he gets a job as press assistant to the president. Then bodies start turning up in D.C. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's uh, it's considered a horror comedy film. Um, but yeah, it's all centered around like angry feelings about Nixon and stuff like that. Um so then in 1981, the film American Werewolf in London follows actual historical European lore surrounding the werewolf. Um, it's a decent film, but it is neat in the sense that it actually does follow kind of what people believed at the time. Uh, in 1985, the iconic movie Silver Bullet was released, sparking the first time special effects helped to make especially graphic transformation scenes. Have you seen that movie? Mm-mm, I don't think so. It's terrible. <laughs> I remember watching it with my parents growing up and I was like, this is awful. What are we doing here? Um, <laughs> then, of course, we have stuff like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where, like, you know, her homie's a werewolf. Um, in the 1990s, werewolves made their way into video games such as Werewolf the Apocalypse. And so the werewolf really booms in the 1990s with movies such as Alvin and the Chipmunks Meet the Wolfman. Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf, and the famous cult classic Ginger Snaps, which I will not delve into because we are more than likely queer-fearing that one, so mm -hmm. I will leave that for the future. And then in 1999, the incredibly popular Harry Potter series introduces werewolves through Professor Lupin, and then I will not give Twilight the time of day, but yes, there are werewolves, I suppose. Hey, how dare you? Because the way Stephanie Meyer portrays werewolves delves back into a very racist um, and systemic problematic uh, issue with how people see Native American culture. If you kind of dig into it a little more, I don't feel qualified to talk about it too much or lecture people about it. But the way she portrayed werewolves in her books is very, very, very offensive to Native American culture. That is true. I will give you that. It's not great. <laughs> <laughs> so it's I choose to not give it the time of day. Um, but Taylor Bella, where the hell have you been, Loka? <laughs> um, and then we have kind of like a NSFW sexifying idea of werewolves, like in Van Helsing or in the movie that sparked my puberty, Teen Wolf. Mm, love me some mm. Dylan O'Brien. Love me some Tyler Posey. Love that series as a kid. Not going to lie. I was like 11 and 12. That's my shit. I've never seen it. <laughs> You've never seen Teen Wolf? No, I've never seen it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, well, it came out around the time like I should have probably watched it, but I it also came around a time where I didn't watch a lot of TV. Mm -hmm. Well, let me tell you, those boys had it, it was a good movie. <laughs> or it was a good show, I mean. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's really all I have um, for You're our... missing a huge one. Am I missing a huge one? The Underworld series? I don't know it. <laughs> this is my Teen Wolf. The Underworld. Oh, I've, I've heard of this. I've never seen it, but I, I do know of it. Okay, we're definitely queer if you're in the Tywin first Lannister? one. It's amazing. Tywin Lannister's in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So do you want to like tell really... people about the werewolves in it? Or? Um, sure. They're they're probably the closest to like a Greek um, okay. mythology. Uh, they're they're not called werewolves. They're called lichens, mm -hmm. um, and it's really fun. The I mean, it's fun because one, Kate Beckinsale is the main character, 
mm-hmm. and she's so hot in this movie series, dude. It literally, <laughs> I, there's so many things I say like are my gay awakening, but like Kate Beckinsale in her like I don't even like leather. Like I'm not even like a tight person, like where it's like <laughs> tight, tight outfits. But she's like an assassin, mm-hmm. and I love me an assassin lady. And she's just really hot. She's a vampire. So the whole series is about like vampires v lichens. Okay. Um, but then, okay. you know, plot twist is like, well, the werewolves aren't that bad. Shocker. They, yeah, they I got had the a, short end of the stick. I had a couple notes in that um, it would commonly come up when I was researching it that it's very popular in pop culture to uh, hit the werewolves versus the uh, vampires. That seems to be yeah. a common trope. Um, yeah, I also think that that kind of goes. Uh, it's one of those things that I think it's kind of an allegory for like class warfare. I was about to say the same thing. I agree yeah. with you entirely. It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess that's about the full depth I have of all the all the werewolfy research. I had a blast looking into it. It was pretty fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. Werewolves are fun. I'm not good at ending these things. Like, I'm not, I'm not, you're, you're very <laughs> natural. It just kind of. Yeah. No, <laughs> what can I say? That's showbiz, baby. Um, no, I love werewolves. Um, it's interesting when we're, we've been fed something through media for a really long time and then you find out the truth. Of course, that's what this whole fucking podcast is about most of the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I didn't really realize that there was a huge Greek influence when it came to werewolves, which is what reminded me of the Underworld series was when I was thinking like, oh, mm-hmm. a lot of that goes back in time. And I don't want to sit here and say that it is Greek, but there's a lot of Greek influences or Mediterranean influences, I would say, when it comes mm-hmm. to a lot of the aesthetics they use to choose when they go back in history for it. So that was really interesting that I never put those two together. So thank you for the education um, on that. I really appreciate it. Well, now knowing what we know, keep your silver bullets on you. Keep your eye to the skies for the moon. Let out a little, whenever you can and stay out Arcadia.